You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Any scene depicted in this episode is a fictionalized dramatization based on true accounts and public records. We aim to give voice to the story and tragedy of Erica Hill's life. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. Did you hear the horrible news about Erica Hill? Oh god, yes, Laurel. I cannot believe it. Perhaps we should meet to discuss how this was not our fault. I mean, uh, discuss whether or not there was more that we could have done to save Erica. That is indeed a splendid idea, Laurel. I'll call Sarah and Monica. We can all meet in my office. Hello, all. I trust that you have all heard the tragic news about Erica Hill. Mary and I thought it would be a great idea for us all to meet so that we could convince ourselves that we are absolutely not to blame for not adequately responding to Erica's daily cries for help. Yes, yes that's, that's right, Laurel. Erica's, Erica's death, death is not was our not our fault. I mean, we all know that we knew that Erica was being abused, right? But hey, what could we do if she didn't actually come right out and say the words? Yes, yes that's, that's right, right, Mary. Mary. Erica's, Erica's death, death was, was not, not our, our fault. I mean, we had meeting after meeting to decide whose turn it was to try to get that deep, dark, scary secret out of Erica, right? And we all remembered to make vain promises to her that she could trust us and we would keep her safe and protect her, right? Right? Yes. yes. That's, That's right, Mary. Mary. Erica's death, death was, was not our fault. fault. So she wore old turtlenecks, long sleeves, and long pants every day, whether it was hot or cold. And her braids were falling out of her hair. Perhaps that was just part of her African-American culture. Who were we to judge? Yes, yes that's, that's right, Monica. Monica. Erica's, Erica's death, death was not our fault. fault. Well, I hate to brag, but at least I got her to show me the scars on her neck. None of you were able to do what I did, were ya? Yes, yes that's, that's right, right, Sarah. Erica's, Erica's death, death was not our fault. fault. 
Do you all think that maybe since a girl was murdered on our watch, we should create an ad hoc committee to develop new policies that would prevent this type of tragedy in the future? Wait a minute. That would mean that we would have to actually take some responsibility for Erica's death. Never mind. Yes, that's, that's right, right, Monica. Monica. Erica's, Erica's death, death was, was not, not our, fault. our fault. So, we are in agreement. We all know we failed Erica, but just so that we can sleep at night, we'll tell ourselves we did the absolute best that we could do to save her. Yes, that's, that's right, Laurel. Erica's death, death was, was not, not our fault. fault. for the recording if you could state your name and your current role. I'm Laurel Ravelo and I'm the school counselor at Wright Middle School. I've been them for a long time. Mm. So our paths had to have crossed at some point. Some of the girls would be like Alicia Kimbrough and Dot. Oh, I remember Dot. Of yes. course. Who yes. can forget Dot? Nobody can forget Dot. Anna Smith. I've always been part-time. Oh, okay. Which means that there's usually I'm there two and a half to three days a week. Okay. And so there's times when I'm, you know, I miss people because I don't match schedules. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talk with us mm -hmm. today. So what is one word that you would use to describe Erica? Well, I guess the word that always comes to me when I think of Erica is sweetness. Mm. Like she just was always gentle and wanted to connect. How did she express that need or that desire to connect? Her presence. I would say she didn't say a lot, but she would always find her way back to our offices mm -hmm. and greet us and then just be around. Like you could tell she just liked to be around. Mm -hmm. Did she ever seem like there was something that she wanted to say or just that maybe she just got a sense of comfort being in like the support staff area. Yeah. I never got the sense that there was something that she wanted to say. Mm -hmm. No, that she just really liked being around people that noticed her and gave her positive regard. Yeah. Would you describe kind of what your interaction was with her? So you were the school counselor mm -hmm. when Erica was there. Yeah. And so what type of interactions did you have with her? I'm the most interactions I remember are just kind of those passing interactions. Mm-hmm. There's one time specifically that I remember that she was in my office, and it was a time when we were concerned of abuse, and she had had kind of like an Oxford shirt mm -hmm. that you normally wouldn't put the collar up and you normally wouldn't button up all the way, and she had it buttoned up all the way, and the collars flipped up. You know, we had been concerned about her, we, the support staff and the teachers, and so we always would have conversations like, what can we do to try to figure out what's happening? Is there something happening? Who has the best relationship? Who thinks that they might be able to help her open up? And on that specific day, we had decided that I would give it a try. Okay. And I remember her being in my office, sitting in the chair that where students always sit. And that interaction with her was very different than the other ones because she... I felt like she was scared Okay. that I was just asking, like, why is your shirt buttoned up? It's a hot day. Let's put down your collar. Why do you have your shirt like that? And mm -hmm. she just kind of clammed up. And 
her body like kind of became rigid. Yes. She just was like, I'm not going there. Don't try to go there with me. And even though I tried a couple different ways that I thought to try to get her to open up, she wouldn't. So what are some of the tactics that you tried to get her to open up? Do you remember any of those? I, I, I know mean, it's been a while. It Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I just tried to express that we care about you. Like if there's anything happening, we're going to support you and we're going to be there for you. And it might feel scary if there's something to share. Mm -hmm. If there's anything happening, we're here to help and yeah. not to make more harm in your life. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I probably would have tried to share that and create that energy in the space. I think I would have said some kind of thing like, hey, it's warm outside. Right. Like, let's unbutton. Let's relax. And you look really tense. And I wonder if that would help if you just put your collar down and so you could relax a little bit. And what do you remember about her kind of response to that? So you asked her, did she want to put her collar down? Yeah. She said. So she wouldn't talk. Okay. She would just, her lips closed mm -hmm. and then she would shake her head. Okay. I remember that she was just kind of tense. Her body was tense. Her lips were closed and she looked scared. And whenever I would ask anything, she would just nod yes or no. Okay. I, I couldn't get anything from her. And do you remember how that time with her ended? I mean, I think eventually I just realized that she wasn't going to open up to mm -hmm. me, didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And that I said, okay, you know, go back to class. Right. Yeah. You mentioned her clothing and either the turtlenecks or the shirt button up. What besides that do you remember had you and other support staff members and teachers concerned about abuse? I think that was the biggest thing. The, okay. That and usually anytime a middle school student, they're trying to distance themselves a little bit from the adults. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she was always around made us concerned. And did you notice anything different from her behavior compared to the behavior of her sisters? I mean, yeah, her sisters, I feel like, didn't really want to interact with us. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't come back to our offices. I don't remember how they did in school, I think they all were well-behaved mm -hmm. so that we didn't have any reasons to call home or anything right. like that. Right. But I just remember not having very much interaction with the sisters. And do you remember any differences in how they looked, how they dressed? I have a vague recollection that she was always a little less, like her clothes were a little older, you know, maybe wrinkled or not as well-dressed as her sisters were. Do you recall any students expressing any kind of concern about Erica, like coming to any of the support staff or the principal with anything saying, you know, I think something's going on with Erica? I don't remember anything like that. Yeah. I know from what I'm remembering from my conversation with Miss Caldwell is that Erica didn't seem to have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Kind of was on the outskirts. Is that yeah. something you would remember yes. to be true? Mm -hmm. At some point, you're saying that you and the, and the support staff kind of discussed something's going on, who's going to try to engage her. Mm -hmm. And so after you made that attempt to engage her that day, do you remember any other discussion after that, any other tactics that you guys talked about taking? I don't remember this all very vividly, but sure. my general feeling was that this was kind of an ongoing conversation that we had. Okay. That we were concerned about her and how do we find out if she's okay mm -hmm. and how can we develop a stronger relationship with her 
what is playing games with her a way to get her to open up? Right. Who, what teacher does she have the closest relationship with? It was just always on our mind yeah. of how could we make sure that Erica was safe. I know when we spoke just on the phone, I had asked you about, did you remember hosting a group? Mm-hmm. You couldn't really bring that up. I can't. And I know there's going to be some things that are much more vivid mm-hmm. because of the nature of the things and some things may be a little fuzzy. Because one of the questions I had was one of the students who knew Erica at the time had mentioned to me that she remembered being in a group with you and Erica and some other girls and Erica being really upset. It would have been the earlier part of 2004 when her sister Tierra committed suicide. Okay. And Erica was kind of talking to you about that. Do you remember around that time when Tierra committed suicide or... I don't. Yeah. And I don't know if she ever went to write herself. I'm not sure because I know there was a distance in the age. So I'm not sure if she had ever been a right student. But I know that some of the other staff members were kind of aware when that happened and kind of did some support stuff with the family and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So at some point in time, Sarah Knutson, one of the teachers, mm-hmm. she had a conversation yeah. With Erica. So I'm imagining this is definitely after you had made an attempt. And yes. I know Miss Caldwell had mm-hmm. made an attempt to try to draw some things out. Mm-hmm. And she asked Erica the same question you did. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason on that day, mm-hmm. Erica showed her her neck mm-hmm. and let her see that. Do you remember that kind of coming out on that day or any of that kind of going on I after don't... she reported I don't remember that specific day. Mm -hmm. I remember that we had some information to make a Child Protective Services report. Yes. And that we had some sense of relief. You know, maybe we can make some move to help this child. Yeah. And I wasn't part of the phone call, the report. But I remember that, yes, there was this sense of like, okay, now we can help. Yeah. At the time... What had you had hoped for for the best case scenario? Mm. It's been reported. She's finally told someone. You have a sigh of relief. And what do you kind of hope is going to happen? I mean, I guess hope that there would be help for whatever is going on. For example, if it was the mom that was doing the abuse, that Child Protective Services would connect them to family support systems, that they would get counseling and be able to learn different strategies to handle whatever stressors were causing that to happen in the house. Yeah. Prior to this case with Erica, had you had any other students? I mean, you had been in the school district for some time now. Mm-hmm. Have you had any other students where it's gotten to this point where there was some suspicion of abuse and then there was actual report? I don't think I've had any students where we've had suspicion of a report and then we made the report. I've definitely had a student that came to me and reported that there was something going on and then I had to do a child protective services report and then that turned into something that was very significant. Tell me a little bit about that, how that went. It was like the best possible way that that awful situation could have happened. Okay. Without going into specific details, Mm -hmm. the, you know, when the family learned what was happening, you know, sometimes it can lead to denial or problems for the child or, but the family took really good steps to make sure the child was safe. They believed the child with what they were reporting. Right. The person was made sure that they couldn't harm that child anymore. Okay. 
Because I think it's important to know there is no perfect scenario when right. a child is being abused. Yeah. There really isn't. No. But I think it's important for the listeners to know that when certain steps are followed, mm -hmm. things can get better for that child. Yes, absolutely. Because I think with black people, I'll just, be, mm -hmm. I'll just go there. With black Thank people, you. we don't trust these systems. Yeah. We don't trust these people out in these streets, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of reasons why we don't. Absolutely. We've had a lot of history where mm -hmm. things have not gone well. And quite frankly, Dane County is a county that mm -hmm. takes a lot of black children out of their families. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of ways. That's a whole nother long conversation. I think there's a lot of ways that we can do a better job of supporting families mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the child in yeah. ensuring the safety yeah. and supporting that family. And I think we don't see that so that I think that whatever you are reporting abuse is a heavy responsibility. Yes, it is. Because you really just don't know mm -hmm. what the fallout is going to be. Right. You don't know what's going to happen in that family. You don't know what's yep. going to happen for that child. Your hope is at the best is that whatever is harming them is going to stop. Yeah. But you really just don't know how it's going to mm -hmm. play out. That day that Erica spoke with Miss Knutson or more so Miss Knutson spoke with Erica and she showed her her scars. Social services was called. Yes. And Erica was sent home and then the next day she's pulled from school. What goes through your mind when Erica's not at school the next day and then the next week and then the next month? Panic. I remember us every day checking with the front secretary. Has a records request come in for Erica? Has mm -hmm. a records request come in? Because we wanted to know that she was somewhere. Right. And that then we could contact that school. Right. And say, please follow up on this. Mm -hmm. And we kept waiting and waiting and nothing ever came in. And so what, if anything, did you feel was upon you to do? Yeah. Because you're waiting. Right. Doesn't come in. And so then what? Right. We contacted social services again to say, you know, we're not hearing where they're coming from, where they're moved to. We did this report. We saw the scars. We're very worried and concerned about Erica's well-being. Mm -hmm. Please try to do whatever your systems can do to locate her. And then what feedback do you remember the social worker giving you about that? I wasn't the person who okay. was calling. Did you get any feedback from... Maybe Monica called. Yeah, I mean, the only feedback I remember is just that we got no feedback, yeah. like that there was kind of a dead end mm -hmm. and that maybe they tried a couple things, but then they were also unsuccessful with their methods. Right. And then it felt a little like, what can we do? Mm -hmm. At what point does Erica fall off the radar? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Even just in terms of the school, because I believe this was her eighth grade year. And she disappeared. She disappeared from school that fall of 2004. So graduation comes and goes. The next school year, is Erica on anybody's radar that you can remember? Is she on your radar? I think she's on our minds. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yes. I mean, she's on our minds all the time. Mm -hmm. But is she on our radar of like, there's something we have to do next? Mm -hmm. No. And then even before the report, did you have any interaction with mom that you remember 
Not really. She would look familiar to me Mm -hmm. and just from being in the front office, if I was in there when, if she came in, but no, I didn't need to have any communication with her. Erica is gone and you guys do some initial kind of calling up. The thing that really struck me about this case, several things, but one of my end up with the question is like, how does a black girl like Erica fall off the radar like Mm -hmm. that? You know, how does she just fall off? And part of this whole story that we're unpacking is kind of looking at this broad spectrum that we're hearing in the news now mm-hmm. of these 65,000 yes. black women and girls mm-hmm. missing. Mm-hmm. And this being one of those stories, mm-hmm. but actually not even missing, not reported missing. And it makes me think about those numbers. Mm -hmm. If these are the young ladies that have actually been reported, there's been some kind of a police report done, they officially are missing. If that's like 65,000, it makes me wonder when I see this case that Erica was missing and never had been reported missing. No one was looking for her. And I think, man, what are the real numbers? Right. Any thoughts about that? Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. In looking at the timeline with Erica, she was pulled from school the fall of 2004. And from what I'm kind of following along is that the family left Madison like a couple days. In the report that I read, Tom Sundahl was the social worker. Okay. He goes out, he tries to get in contact with the mom and... He goes out, and two days later, he looks in the window, I guess, or something like that, and the apartment's just cleaned out. They're just mm. gone two days later. Like someone with yourself, being a professional in the school, is particularly a support staff for your veteran. Mm-hmm. What do you think, I'll say, could have happened differently in response to Erica reports, not a week later, not a month later, right. the two days next, later. no, the next day? She's pulled from school after reporting. And then she's moved out. What do you think could have happened in that situation? Well, definitely what could have happened is her face could have been on the news. Absolutely. In the newspaper, there could have been a lot of publicity surrounding it. And that would have helped. Why do you think that didn't happen? I guess as a, I don't know who normally does that. You know, like who picks up stories and who takes it. I guess there would have needed to be someone who was like, take this to the news. And I don't know why no one did. Yeah, because it's immediate. Mm-hmm. It's the next day. Right. You're suspecting that she's being abused for years. Mm-hmm. And then when she finally reports, the next day she's gone. I just continue to try to dig at this to figure out why the alarms were not sounded Mm -hmm. from anyone. Right. Because there's a lot of communities involved. There were a lot of communities involved. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things that just breaks me down Mm -hmm. when I think about this is that it was clearly a dangerous situation when you suspect abuse, a child reports abuse and then they are pulled from school and you hear nothing. That screams to me, this child is in danger. Mm -hmm. Like, loud and clear. There's no way for me to look at this story 
without looking at all the elements and one blaring one being this black girl. How do you think race plays into all of this? From the angle of systems, I think racism affected Erica's whole upbringing from her mom that couldn't take care of her. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I mean, her grandma died, which is why the reason she had to go live with Marie. And I know that health disparities are horrible mm-hmm. by race. Those all play into it. I don't feel this way, and I know that racism has caused white people to not care as much mm-hmm. when there's suffering with people of color. Yes. And so it doesn't touch people's hearts mm-hmm. as much when there's someone hurting, when there's a black person hurting, a black little girl hurting. And I think that affected what could have happened the racism in the system that under um, funds all these systems of support, you know, the social work system, the education mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. where there could have been more legwork, more time. When you're in the school, it's like you really respond to the problems that are right in your face. Mm-hmm. And when there's not one problem in front of your face or one concern, Mm -hmm. that you have in front of your face, you have to let that problem go out of your head so that you can address another concern that's there. And so then when Erica left, then we didn't have as much time to process and to say, this is a big problem. What do we need to do? How do we keep this girl safe and put energy into it that needed to be put into it? Because then we were on to the next young student that had concerns. Mm -hmm or hurts in their life. And so that the system also creates those inequities and under-resources. Two things kind of come to mind. One is kind of going back and replaying some of the things that you said you would have said to Erica and, might, mm-hmm. and, and probably said to her when you were asking her about her shirt mm-hmm. to see what was going on and asking her to reveal if something was going on. One of the things that stood out to me at the time when you said it was, we want to help you. We want to keep you safe. We Mm want to make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. Do you think Erica believed that? I think that she believed that the intention and the desire was there, Mm -hmm. but I don't think she believed that that was possible, that anybody could keep her safe and that she could see any situation where she would be protected. Yeah. What do you think, just from your interaction with Erica, what do you think made her show Miss Knutson her scars that day? I can't even guess. Yeah. One thing that I would guess is maybe it's the accumulation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the talks that she had with Miss Caldwell. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the talk she had with you. Mm-hmm. And then Miss Knutson now comes mm-hmm. and says kind of the same thing. Let me see. Mm-hmm. And maybe just little by little, she began to hope and trust. Maybe. Maybe her life could be better. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to remember at this point, Erica was like 12, 13 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. That's really young. Really young. And I asked this question, if Erica had been 
a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, blonde hair, blue-eyed white girl under these same circumstances, and she disappears the next day with the system and everyone in it had reacted differently. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think we would have reacted any differently. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the system would. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I think I see it kind of like a wheel, you know, mm -hmm. and different spokes mm -hmm. of that wheel kind of turning it around and around and around. She disappears. And at some point in time, a couple year and a half later, somebody comes back to the school. I think, did you know her brother? I knew her brother, but I don't remember him coming back to the school. I thought he was in right. You don't remember him being a right student? I don't remember that. Okay. But at some point, the family comes back. Are you at all aware no. that they're back in town? No. They come back. The girls, as I understand it, were enrolled in another school district. Erica was not. And so one of the conversations that I had with Ms. Knutson is that she had heard out in the community that they were back in town, looked up and saw that the girls and the son were re-enrolled in school and that Erica was marked as being homeschooled. Did you guys ever talk about that at all? Did you have any no, any we conversations? Didn't. We didn't talk about that at all. So she saw that on the system, Erica was homeschooled. If you had that information, they're back in town now. Girls in school, sons in school, Erica is not. What might that have sparked in you? Yeah, I would have been very curious to try to find some more information. Mm -hmm. Like if they're going to a church community, like, do I know anyone there to ask? Have you seen Erica? How's she doing? Just try to put out feelers to see if I could get some more information to see that she was safe. I think that's what I would have done, too. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that did not happen. And so essentially, there's a time block from when Erica left school that day, not knowing like where 10 she years. was. Yeah. Like 12 years. Okay. Not knowing where she was. And part of what her mom has said was that Erica refused to go to school. She did not like school. She did not want to be in school. She was being difficult behavior, and she refused to go to school. Does that at all sound like Erica to no. you? No. Yeah, if I would have heard that story, I would have really questioned it because she really genuinely seemed like she liked to be there. And she liked to, like I said, connect with the adults, especially in the building. And she was never a behavior problem. You know, I realized that the benefit of 2020 is really clear, but it makes me wonder, are there other Ericas out there right now? Yeah. In schools, silently suffering, saying so much with their silence mm -hmm. and not being hurt. Or with their behavior. Or with their behavior. And being written off yeah. because of that. And I have a huge concern about black girls in school. We're seeing just droves of black girls being suspended, being expelled, mm -hmm. not being engaged in the classroom, being labeled as difficult, angry, loud. What are you seeing going on with black girls right now? And how have you seen their engagement and their visibility in school over the years? Because you have the benefit of being at the same school for quite mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of constants and things that are the same. 
What are you seeing at all right now with Black girls and what has changed over the years? Yeah, I think there's a difference between Wright Middle School and the general community. I think in the general community, I feel like things have gotten worse. The divide between people and the judgment of white adults has gotten worse. And students are being, yeah, pushed out of school and and don't feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at Wright, things have gotten better. They're still not perfect. Right. We still have all of the racism of society that comes into our space. Mm -hmm. And we're working really hard to try to make sure students feel like they belong, make sure students feel their excellence, their black excellence, girls and boys. Mm -hmm. We're really trying not to send them home, trying to do everything possible to keep them at school and engage them and work with families. What are some specific challenges you see white staff having with black girls in the school? Like the research says that white adults see black students as older than they are. Mm -hmm. And then so developmentally, if a black girl is having some kind of behavior, they're going to judge it more harshly Mm -hmm. rather than developmentally appropriate for their age. Right. Like those kinds of things I see playing out. You know, also just judging it more from a negative standpoint, Mm -hmm. a deficit kind of thinking instead of thinking like, oh, wow, they're really strong. Right. And, you know, they're standing up for themselves. Right. It's no, they're obstinate. They're defiant. They don't follow what I'm trying to ask them to do. Mm-hmm. Like it, I see that dichotomy happening because of race, that different judgment. Yeah. I'm a fly on the room in the teacher's lounge, mm-hmm. and there's all white teachers up in there. What kind of stuff are they saying? Not at right. We're not okay. saying stuff like Y'all that. Y'all not? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. No. All right. What kind of things are they saying in other schools, you think? I don't know. What would you speculate? Um, they don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. School's not important to them. Those kind of judgments. Have you seen that change over the years in terms of the divide getting wider? I only have what I hear from the news, right? Because sure. I'm at right. Right. And so I don't. I'm not in any other schools, and so it's really hard for me to say whether that divides getting different. I from the stories I hear, mm-hmm. things that are happening in the schools. Mm-hmm. To me, it sounds like yes. Do you think it's made a difference at right that, and I really don't, I know Mr. Holmes was there, mm-hmm. then it was Miss Evans, mm-hmm. and I don't know who was there in between. Then it was Angie. So for the last almost 20 years, mm-hmm. there's been a black principal at the helm of right. How do you think that has impacted the sense of community and the interaction with black students and black girls in particular? Well, it's a dramatic impact. It's uncomparable. The level of comfort that the students feel, the level of comfort that families feel when they come in to talk about an issue, it's just opposite mm-hmm. than having a white administrator. Yeah. And I think in some ways we've seen that change in Madison School District where we're having more principals of color. Statistically, it's still very low. Mm-hmm. But in the classrooms, mm-hmm. I'm not seeing the numbers that I would think. So I grew up in Madison and went to Lincoln Middle School. There was a little bubble at that time because not only did we have Black administrators, but we had Black teachers. In that environment, in that community of Lincoln is where I had the most 
black administrators, black teachers, black support staff in my whole educational career. And I think it made a huge difference, but not just with the black students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it made a huge difference with the white students. Absolutely. As well. Because mm-hmm. some of the things that I'm hearing, and I'm kind of going off a tangent a little bit, but some of the things that I'm hearing in schools, because I continue to do a lot of work in various school districts and school buildings, is that the level of racism and the expression of racist sayings and things like that is this, I don't remember that ever being an issue at Lincoln. And we were still a mixed school. It was on the South side, but it also fed in students from Monona. So you had kids who lived in subsidized housing. You had kids who lived on the lake Mm. that were mixing in this school environment. So you had the spectrum of economic experiences, family experiences, and I don't have one single memory mm. of any of that Wow, being an issue. It's amazing. It is. Mm-hmm. It really is. And so it makes you wonder, are we going forward or backwards? We're going forward because time is ticking on, but it just seems like we're going backwards in our engagement of students of color and Black students and then black girls in particular, I think are falling really low on that totem pole mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Since your time with Erica, have you in your career engaged with any other student that had as many red flags as she kind of showed? I mean, different red flags, yeah. not red flags of abuse. Yeah, no, specifically abuse. Like I'm trying okay. to, I'm wondering like, is this a real isolated case or is this something that is going on and we're just not hearing about it? We're just not seeing it. Even I'm combing through my memories of being a social worker and thinking about the cases that came through. I've had so many different conversations on air, off air about Erica, and I I still get choked up. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Well, you brought some yearbooks. Let's take a look at those. Okay. Which school years? This do you is two thousand two, two thousand three, and this is when she was in sixth grade. So okay. this was the first year that I was at Wright, and the first year that she was at Wright. Do you remember if concern kind of grew over the years? I don't remember. When we started talking again, I started to try to look through the yearbooks and see when she was there. In my mind, this all happened in one year. Okay. Okay. But now seeing these yearbooks, I yeah. see she was at least at right for two years. Yes. And then you're saying in the fall of her eighth grade year as well. I believe the fall of her eighth grade year, because when I was talking with Carla Williams, she mm-hmm. was saying how she had anticipated her being at graduation, thinking at graduation, where's Erica type of thing. Got it. And we see the turtleneck going on there. Yep. In sixth grade. And here she is in seventh grade as well. Did you look at the eighth grade year and she wasn't there? Yes, I did. And so she, she was must not. have she must have left pretty early then in that school year. Okay, so I had done groups at Wright for so long. I had known so many kids. It was hard for me to remember whether or not Erica and her sisters were around when I was at group. Okay, now I'm seeing the context. I'm seeing some other young people that I knew and I'm knowing, no, I was not doing group. Yeah, and her sisters are right in then. the book that you have. 
Lolita in your hand? Eighth grade? I think there's one in eighth and one in sixth. Because I know that there was some thought about this. Thank you so much for bringing these in because I've been trying to find some nice pictures. Oh, I see so many young people that I know. Oh, we're grown-ups now. That's the one nice thing about staying in the same city. Mm-hmm. Raising your kids here and working in the same city, you get to see a lot of young people grow up. I tell people I'm a community grandmother. I don't want to keep it that way for a minute. Okay. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much. I want to look at those when we're kind of done with the conversation some more. Getting back to kind of the timeline. So 2004, she's off the record. And is it surprising to you that from 2004 until 2015 that no one reported Erica missing? I don't think so, just because I think families report somebody missing. They're the ones that are closest to them, and they're the ones that will call the police if they're not around. If I would have thought her sisters or her brother or someone would have reported her missing, if she was. Right. So one of the things I'm doing as I'm kind of digging at this story is trying to map out what went on with Erica from 2004 to 2007 Mm -hmm. when she wasn't in school. Like, did anybody see her? Yeah. Was she at church? Did anybody see her at church? Because she wasn't in school. Like, what was her life? Right. After she reported, what was her life? Mm. I want the answer to that question, and I don't want the answer to that question. So September 2015... It hits the news that Marie Hill had been arrested for the murder of Erica Hill. Where are you when you hear? What are you thinking? At school, distraught. What did we do wrong? What did we miss? Is this our fault? Talking with every single person that was part of it Mm -hmm. to look, examine what we did to talk, tell stories about Erica, to work through our grief about it, about her death. Just kind of disbelief at how something like this could happen. Mm -hmm. And with those questions of, was this our fault? What did we do wrong? Was it just kind of thrown out there in emotion? Or did you guys really kind of just look at it in a real strategic way? I would say it was in between both of those things. Mm -hmm. It definitely wasn't just kind of rhetorical Mm -hmm. questions that we were saying in our grief. It was kind of rehashing. What did we do? Did we do things right? Was there anything we could have done differently? But not in like a strategic way of kind of saying, did we miss this opportunity? It was in between, I think. Yeah. What are some things that you remember you guys came up with about, did we do enough? Should we have done this? I keep thinking and thinking and what could we have done differently? What could we have done differently? Only tonight is the first time I thought, well, why didn't we go to the newspaper? Why didn't we get a reporter on the story? I'd never thought of that idea before. Mm -hmm. Every other time I just came up with, I don't know what else we could have done. Gone to the police station and, you know, knocked on the door and say, we can't let this story go. We can't let this little girl go. Yeah. But other than that, Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything else. That might have done it. 
that might have done it. Mm-hmm. Do you know where they went? My understanding is that they went somewhere in Illinois and had been gone for like a year and a half before they returned to Madison. And then Marie, at some point, was working for the school district. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, and was working for the school district when she was arrested, which gives me a great pause. Mm -hmm. Were there any new regulations, any new strategies, any new policies that came out of you all processing what we could have done differently? Not anything formal, no. Anything informal? I mean, I think anytime you have a situation like that happen, it just makes you think deeper every time you have an interaction with a kid that reminds you of Erica, that maybe is around you all the time and just wants to please you. And you think like, could this be an Erica? Yeah. How has it directly impacted you Mm -hmm. professionally? Yeah. I haven't thought about that answer. Yeah. I know that all of the stories of the students that have gone through right about 10 years ago, they were graduating from high school, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew them as amazing, brilliant, young middle school full of vigor kids. And I had so many high, wonderful expectations for their life. And I, the stories that I was hearing wasn't matching what I had expected to hear wow. about them. And I really felt like throwing the towel in. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing here? I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And at that time, then I decided to take the YWCA racial justice series. What I learned is that, Laurel, you have this all wrong. It's not about putting opportunities and experiences and hope and anything into the children that I have in front of me because they're affected by racism. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much I try to give them, society is not going to see them for who they are. Mm -hmm. And so really, if that's what you're in this work for, is that all students and your students at Wright Middle School can have everything that they want to have in their life, you have to go start to work with your white community. And you need to do some serious work on yourself to make sure that you're not making judgments, that you're not writing kids off, that you know all of the, the number that white supremacy has done on you yeah, so that it, you don't act it out right. with your students. Right. That's how my professional work has been changed mm-hmm. by Erica and all my students yeah. that I've worked with. Yeah. How do you feel you've been changed personally? I feel more whole, feel more human. I feel more peaceful. I feel like this weight has been removed from my life. Mm-hmm. That, you know, now I can really connect with people in a way that I wasn't able to before, even other white people, Mm -hmm. because white supremacy puts us in so many boxes and so many regulations and the right white way to do things. And then you can't be human. And then we hurt people and especially people of color. And so I just feel like a completely different person. Wow. And then you were sharing that you had also gone through the Black history class. Mm-hmm. What do you take from that that you bring into your work? Yeah. Well, that white people haven't learned the true history of Black people in the United States and the true history of oppression. I mean, that was kind of the big general mm-hmm. message mm-hmm. that I've taken from it. 
one of the things that I see is when we're talking particularly about how black girls are faring in school systems is that there is a lot of clashing with teachers. And if you break it down, the majority in Madison community, the majority of teachers and support staff are white women. And then we have these black girls. Mm -hmm. And so as you are working to do your work Mm -hmm. personally, but also the work that you feel like you need to do with white people and specifically white women, what needs to happen for white women to have more compassion for black girls in your estimation? I feel like they need to learn the real history Mm -hmm. of the United States because many people don't know it. It's hidden from us Right. as we're going through the education system. We're taught a lie, and then that creates judgments because yeah. we don't know the real truth. So that's, I think, a huge part. And then just really doing a lot of self-examination, just kind of sitting with what thought just went through my mind mm-hmm. and catch it and mm-hmm. then say, wait a minute, is that what's happening here or did I get that from media, from yeah. some other place outside of me from white supremacy right and stop it and I think that's important because I think a lot of times whatever the thought is we don't want to believe bad about ourselves right we don't want to feel that and I think in my experience it's been you can call white people a whole lot of things but they don't want to be called a racist that's Mm -hmm. like they can be racist they can have racist behavior But if you call them a racist, that's like the worst thing. Mm -hmm. And I keep asking myself, if there are no racists in America, (laughs) why are things as they are? Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's got to be a racist. And having the strength to embrace that, Mm -hmm. to bring it close Mm -hmm. so that you can, like you said, hold yourself accountable. But if you deny it, you're going to find some other reason to say why this is. And then you never get a chance to work through that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it seeps out. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It's like any other illness that you shove down. Yeah. It comes out in ways that you don't know that's what it is. Yeah. Without really examining and saying, this is what's going on inside of me. Yeah. And I want to change it. And I need to be active. I've had 50 years of white supremacy Mm -hmm. coming into my brain. So now I need to actively do things to get white supremacy out of my brain. Right. If you really look at it, you've had more than 50 years because it was you, mm-hmm. your experience, your mama's experience, right. your mama's mama's experience, yeah. etc. That kind of brings down because when we look at historical trauma, we look at it through the lens of people of color and the experiences that they've had. I don't think we often look at the impact of historical racism Mm -hmm. and the thoughts and the conversations around the table on Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and the conversations when it's only white people in the room and they're talking about black people, even black students, kind of what those things are and how that's been passed down without question, Mm -hmm. because it's just been, this is the facts. This is how it is. And so there's been no questioning of the thoughts and the beliefs. And then the subsequent behaviors that come out of those thoughts and beliefs. I kind of asked you this, but I'm going to ask you a little bit more directly. What do you, if anything, wish that you would have done differently with Erica? I wish that I would have kept her more present in my mind and done like what you had said to the people. Like, what can we do now? We can't just forget about her. And then 
came up with ideas. Call the social worker again. And if they say, oh, we can't do anything. Well, no, we have to do something. Yeah. We have to do something. Yeah. If Erica was sitting here right now with you, what would you say to her? I would say, I'm so sorry. I wish I could have made a better life for you. So sorry that I couldn't have been, been there for you. And I didn't fight harder for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add or any thoughts you have? No. I really appreciate you coming. Appreciate you sharing. And I appreciate the work that you're doing on you and the work that you're doing with your community to make school, which school is a big deal. Kids spend most of their life in school yeah, up until the age of 18. It's a big deal to make it a safer place for kids like Erica. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you for doing Erica's story. Oh, my God. I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. I didn't. I... At one point, you had asked whether there had been any other students that had had similar kinds of like trauma or seriousness. Right. And and really Erica and the one other student that I shared with you are the only two that were that level. That rose to the top. Statistically, I'm thinking there's more kids, right? That are yeah. being physically abused at home oh, or of being course. sexually abused at home. Of course. And so the work continues to be Yeah. How do we one create a safe place mm -hmm. for kids to tell yeah. if they're going through yeah. any abuse at home or church or wherever they yeah. may be. And then the second thing is how do we keep them safe after they tell? Mm -hmm. So both the telling, because the telling isn't enough. And having been a child who was in an abusive home, the telling is the thing you dread the most. Even though on the outskirts as a helping professional, you're thinking, if you tell us, we can help. Mm -hmm. If you tell us, we can make things right. But the thought of telling feels worse than death. Yeah. So that if somebody tells. Mm. They're past the point of being afraid of death almost. They've already reached that horribleness, yeah. that level of horror. Yeah. Because I would have preferred death mm -hmm. to telling anybody that I was being sexually abused at home. Yeah. And had I told, had I gotten to that place where I could have told someone outside of my family, and even when I told my mom, I thought at that point, life would be better. Mm. It turns me inside out because I know that when Erica told. She hoped for that. She hoped for that. Yeah. And her life became unimaginable mm. after that. Mm. It became unimaginable after that. 
And then she was killed. And then she was killed. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah. It's very heavy. Yeah, it is. It is because you you think if I tell the world is gonna crush in and the, the ceiling's gonna fall, the sun's gonna fall out of the sky. And it really did for her. Yeah. And, she, and then even worse, maybe to feel like nobody came looking for me. Yeah. You know, there was all these people that said, we'll help you, we'll help you. And where were they? I was reading the a quote from the Fitchburg police. And this was in 2015 after Kiera came out and told what happened. And the police officer said, I just can't understand how this girl was missing for so long. Mm-hmm. And no one ever reported her missing. You know, um, and that's 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 hard to take. Yeah. It's hard to take. Whew. I'm gonna need a shot of some rum after this. <laughs> I'm gonna need more of them cough drops. As my grandmother would say, mm-mm-mm. That was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting Laleda.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are. And while you're there, we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation. <laughs>